Hi, my name is Steve Thomas, lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged as together we open God's Word and consider how it applies to our lives. There are times in our lives when we don't really get all of what's happening. There's things that we don't realize that are happening, that are actually happening behind the scenes. We kind of see the surface and we miss actually what's going on. Maybe that was your uh, condition when you were in school. For me, I went to school, went to college to get the job I wanted, to make the money I wanted, to live the life I wanted to live, right? And so you just kind of got through it. But that's not what it was about. I learned later when I, when I was able to do uh, some seminary studies, I realized that God had used my undergraduate to develop my mind. And really the purpose of education was to make me what I could be, right? To develop me into what I could be. I'm so grateful. You may say, well, Steve, you studied engineering. Not sure how that translates, right? But I'm so grateful for what God did in my years in engineering school to develop me. And then in seminary, to begin to, I thought, well, I need to learn a lot about this book, and I, I need to learn a lot about the church, I learned, need to learn a lot about ministry. Yes, you do, but I need a God to develop my heart. He's still developing my heart. See, that's what, that's what Jesus is all about. He wants to develop our hearts to remove this heart of flesh and put in a what? Remove this heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that that looks like his heart. See, that's what he's trying to do with his people to give us a heart of compassion, like the heart of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about today from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. This heart of compassion. We're, we're in a series called Sent. And Jesus is moving, he's moved to this, this plan of, I'm going to expand my ministry and I'm going to do it by involving my, the guys around me to do what I've actually been doing, which is astounding if you think about it. He, he gave his disciples a job to do that only he could do and he also gave them power to do it. And they went out and they started chasing out demons and they started healing people and they proclaimed the message of Jesus in a powerful, powerful way. It's an awesome, awesome thing to think that Jesus would use regular people like the disciples and like us. But even after he sent them out, they hadn't arrived yet. As humans, we have this tendency, we want to get there, right? We want to have arrived. We want to have graduated. We want to have taken the final step. We want to get to that place where we don't have to grow anymore, maybe, right? We never really get there, incidentally, on this earth. But Jesus needed to show them something they had yet to see about him. He needed to show them something that they hadn't quite taken in yet. And that's what's happening in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Look with me, if you will. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The Bible says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 
For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. The disciples had just been out. They'd been in the surrounding villages, and it had been gone really, really well, and people had responded, and they'd healed, and they chased out demons, and now they're coming back, and you can just imagine the excitement. Here's six teams of two showing up. Jesus, Jesus, this is what happened. It was amazing. I went over here. I, I, I went up to West Palm. Yeah, I went to Boynton. I went to Boca. Well, you can't really help Boca. No, I went to Boca, and... and um, and they heard me, and, and I was able to have incredible results, and it was amazing. And it's kind of like when you first come home from college, and, and your brothers and sisters are there, and everyone's all excited. There's just a buzz going on, you know? It's exciting. Or maybe when your kids came home for the first time from first grade or kindergarten, they're just talking. Everyone's talking. And put on top of that, that now there's this huge crowd that wants to know these guys. They're suddenly famous. They're suddenly really popular, and everybody wants to talk to them, touch them. They're all able to heal. It's incredible. And Mark says it was so crazy that they couldn't even stop to eat. Now, that's crossed the line for me, amen? <laughs> we couldn't even stop to eat. Well, that isn't right. Remember the last time this happened? It happened in Mark chapter 3, and his Jesus's family actually came to get him to do an intervention to say, Jesus, you're not even eating. So this is not right. You've probably lost your mind, we think. Remember that? And they, they were going to take him away. And he's like, you, you guys don't get it. That's, that's not what's happening here. So it's really a frenetic, crazy time. And Jesus says to them, he says, come away. Come away with me to a desolate place and rest a while. Come away. Now, Jesus had often gone away, and he'd gone maybe to a mountainside, to a desolate place, to pray during his ministry. This was not uncommon. So I'm sure what they're thinking is Jesus is going to teach us what he does when he goes away. Jesus is ready to take us with him on one of his prayer retreats, and it's going to be a time to chill, to rest, to nap, to eat a lot of food. You know, it's going to be really relaxing. It's going to be all about my physical relaxation. But it's important to note that word rest has more to do with restoration than it does to have with sleeping. Jesus is saying, and what they would have heard, come away for a time of restoration. Is what he's saying. Or refreshment. Come away for this. I'm going to change the scenery and I want you to see this. This is really important. Guys, I want to get you away because I need to show you something. I need to teach you something. Uh, it's not like, hey, we're going to go away and sleep. So he tells them, let's, let's go away. And watch what happens. Verse 32. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, you can imagine, you say, wait a minute, they go out to sea, so how did, you, how did they follow them? Well, understand what we're talking about is the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a kind of a big lake, about 13 miles by 8 miles. And you can see that they didn't have a go-fast boat, uh, they didn't just speed away, I mean, when you left someone in those days, you, you got in your boat and you set sail and you got your, maybe your oars out, you're not really going all that fast. 
How many of you know I have a small sailboat, and it's a relatively fast small sailboat, but I have to tell you, many times I've gotten in that boat, and I've gone along the beach, and I've got to be honest with you, there are people walking who are keeping up with me. <laughs> but they're not having as much fun as me, because they're walking, right? And I'm in my sailboat, and we're going along, and they're kind of keeping pace, and I can remember people being with me, going, hey, those people are going the same speed as us. Yeah, but they're not having as fun or looking as cool, right? Um, so you can imagine they're probably cut, cutting across a corner of the lake, uh, perhaps from the northeast corner, uh, northwest corner up to the northeast corner, something like that. They're kind of cutting across a corner of the lake, and the people can see them, which you can see a sailboat for a long ways. And they probably had a sail set, probably had oars, and people are seeing them going, hey, there's a boatload of miracle workers we're just going to truck right after them, right? We're gonna, we can run as fast as they're going. We're going to go around the edge, and we're going to get there wherever they're going to land. We're going to see them. And so they're, they're running kind of along the beach, and as they're going, they're collecting people from the villages they're passing. Because the Sea of, the, of Galilee is, has a bunch of little villages along the, along the edge of it. They're probably only going, honestly, a couple, three miles maybe, um, maybe a 5K, so not that big a deal, and they were probably in good shape, a good Mediterranean diet, right, you know, um, fish and garbanzo beans, I think is what they, all they have, um, so they're, they're going along, and olives, olive oil, right, they're going along the shore, and so it seems like they're kind of, kind of ruin the retreat, right, it's kind of like you and your wife saying, hey, we're going to go on a retreat, and all of a sudden your whole kids show up, you know, and you're like, I still got to do all this stuff, right? So they go along behind him, and they, and they catch up with them, and they see them landing. Verse 34, look what Jesus says. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he told them, get out of here. I mean, isn't that kind of what you want to say? That's not what Jesus says. He, he sees this great crowd. He sees a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. I want you to feel that for just a moment. Imagine you're in that crowd. You wanted to see Jesus, and you show up kind of where you're really not supposed to be. And Jesus has compassion on you. Aren't you grateful for that? He has compassion on you. He, he's not, you need to know this, every time you go to him in prayer, he's not going, oh, here's Steve again. Still hasn't got it figured out. Been telling him the same thing for years, he still hasn't got it. That's not Jesus, is it? He has compassion. And watch why. I love the description of why he has compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus looks at the people who have run all the way around the edge. They've run two or three miles to get to him. And they're crowding in with a place where he was planning, we think, to have this time of rest and, and refreshment with his disciples. And he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. What do you think about that image? It's an Old Testament image, and Moses used it. In Exodus, and I'm sorry, in Numbers, and Moses was praying to God saying, you know what, I'm getting old, and I need someone 
to replace me when I die. And I'm concerned that if I die now, the people will be like sheep without a shepherd. And God said, I want you to, I want you to get Joshua ready because he's going to take over for you. Great comfort for Moses. And then in Ezekiel, it's even more vivid. Ezekiel 34, you can look it up later. Ezekiel 34, the priests and the people who were supposed to be caring for the people had just gotten lazy and fat and it allowed the people to do whatever they wanted and didn't care. God says to Ezekiel, the people are like sheep without a shepherd. They are food for predators. They are scattered all over the mountainsides, all over the wilderness, and there's no one to round them up. You see, sheep don't do well on their own. They just wander everywhere. They get lost. They don't take care of themselves. Their grooming habits are bad. Um, they, they don't find food. They get in danger. They get in trouble. They fall over cliffs. They get eaten by wolves. They don't do well by themselves. So Jesus sees these people and he says, he says, he has compassion on them because they're just like that. They're just wandering. They have no spiritual leadership. And that's what Jesus wants to fix. So he begins to teach them. Again, the disciples are there. They're probably wondering, hey, when's this rest going to start happening? When are we going to get to take it? When's that going to happen? Jesus, you're taking care of all these people again. What? They're always in the way. He had compassion on them because they were sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus taught them, verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Get this compassion. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It's interesting, that's the third time that word desolate place is mentioned. Always pay attention in a paragraph or two of Scripture if you see the same phrase happening over and over again. Because what it means is they actually had gotten to the place that Jesus said they would go. Let's go to a desolate place. They went to a desolate place and they said, this is a desolate place. Jesus, send them away. So the disciples at this point are starting to feel some pressure. Perhaps, like in another wilderness setting, the people began to grumble. Remember how they grumbled against Moses and Exodus? We don't have any food. You brought us out here to die. Back in Egypt, we had meat and we had cucumbers. We had all this food, you brought us out here. Jesus, you've led us out here and now it's late and we're hungry. We don't know. But the disciples begin to feel pressure to feed them. And they say to Jesus, would you please send these people away? Go have them get something to eat somewhere else. I'm sure there's a McDonald's somewhere around here. But Jesus answered them. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Man, this is a verse that says they're on the... They're not on the same page, are they? You give them something to eat. Well, what, what, what do we look like? We're going to go spend fifteen dollars to $20,000 to feed these people? That's really what that would have cost. It's, it's a very sarcastic remark. Let me ask you something. You, you all have probably never done this, but maybe you thought about doing it. 
you saw a need and you said to God, I can't do anything about that. Throw up your hands. You felt like Jesus may be urging you to do something. There's no way I could do that. That's what they're saying. Jesus, you're asking us to do the impossible. It's ridiculous. It's silly. There's no way that could happen. They're disconnected to what Jesus is about to do. And Jesus asked him another question. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said to him, five and two fish. Now, why does Jesus ask them? He, he knows they don't have anything, right? He knows what they have. Basically, someone's got a fish sandwich, right? That's pretty much what this is. This would have been a small dried fish and a few like what would almost be like pieces of bread today. Uh, that's all they had. Among them, somebody remembered to bring a fish sandwich. I don't know who, I don't know which one it was. Judas, maybe, I don't know. Um, they had a fish sandwich. Tell me what you have. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. Why does he ask? He can make the food out of nothing, can he? But he chooses to involve them. Tell me what you have. I love this about Jesus takes an impossible situation, looks at his followers, tell me what you have. We have two fish, five loaves. And then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them as well. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let me start with the last couple of verses first. You remember how they didn't have time to eat before? What does Jesus do? I got a basket for each of you. It's amazing. You didn't think you had anything? Give me what you have. Jesus multiplies it. How many people were there? I was always asked the question, 5,000 men, does that mean that's all there were? Probably not. No reason to think that there wouldn't have been women and children as well. So you're probably talking in the neighborhood of somewhere between five and 15,000 people. Probably closer to 10 or so because there's not that many people living in the region at the time. But, so it's a lot of people. They couldn't eat, but now they've got more than they can eat. Jesus takes... Food for about one or maybe two people, and he feeds thousands. This reminds you of anything? Remember when the children of Israel grumbled? What did, Jesus, what did God do? He sent manna. He sent manna to them, fed them miraculously every day while they, while they were in the wilderness. See, this is what Jesus wants his disciples to see. And he's, he's not only showing them that, but he's showing them that now you're going to get to be involved in the distribution of the miracle. You follow me? So, does it, so understand what's happening. This is not just Jesus, this miracle worker. This is not just Jesus who's doing something locally and it's just a small thing. This is the God. The God who rescued them from Egypt. 
This is the same God who destroyed the army of, army of Egypt. This is the same God who gave them the law, the same God who led them across the wilderness, who fed them in the wilderness, who led them into the promised land. This is an incredible God. This is not just some regional king. Now, we know from the next section we'll look at next week that they didn't get it, that they missed it. But Mark is making sure that we understand Jesus is tying himself back to being the same God who led the people out of Egypt. So the people are fed. Disciples get to participate. What can we take from this? First of all, the first thing we need to understand is God asks for the very little bit that we have so that he can multiply it and use us to bless thousands. Let me ask you, what do you have? What do you have that God has allowed you to have? What do you have that he is asking for today? And they say, you know, they're, they're like turning their pockets inside out going, we, we don't have anything. Oh, we got this sandwich. It's kind of old, nasty, but here it is. Let me just tell you, each of you have more than a fish sandwich. God is saying to you today, What little pathetic thing do you have that you can give to Jesus that he can multiply and then use you to bless others? Yes, financially, absolutely. You say, I I don't have much to give. What do you have? See, does God own it or not? Does you own it or does God own it? Have you placed it in his hands? Say, God, you, you have my entire savings, my entire net worth. You have every penny in my pocket. God, you just tell me what to do, and I'm going to do it because you're my God, and you own it. I'm placing it in your hands. But you have other things as well. Some of you have life experiences. Say, so you know what? I'm an experienced man. I, I've done a lot. I've been in business. I've been in relationships. I can help. I can at least walk along beside someone. I just don't have a lot, but I'll give it. And I'll let God use me. Some of you, there's some of you I know who are widows, and you can walk along beside other widows through that journey. You know what that's like. You can love others in that way. Others of you have certain life skills. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a businessman. Maybe your skill, uh, whatever your business is, whatever your career is, you can help someone. Will you place your career in his hands? And say, Jesus, whatever you want to do with this, you're free to do it. You're free to do it. You're free to move me. You're free for me to do something I've never done. God, I, I, want, I want to place my career in your hands. It doesn't seem like much in the kingdom, but I want to give it because I want you to multiply it and you to do what only you can do. You may say, well, I'm a student. Would you place the fact that you're a student in the hands of Jesus Christ? And say, my schooling, I want to honor you, Jesus. I want to be used by you to bless thousands. I can't do it myself, but I know if I place my schooling in your hands, you can do it. Others of you, it's your ethnicity. You have a certain ethnicity that may be unique in this area. There are people like you that only you can reach. Would you place that in his hands? That's the first thing we need to see, but honestly, that's only the very beginning. Because the second thing we need to see is like Israel, Jesus is the God who rescues. 
He's the God who supplies spiritual leadership. He rescues us from sin like he rescued Israel from Egypt. He feeds us in the midst of the wilderness and leads us through the wilderness. Let me ask you, are you in the wilderness right now? You may say, man, I don't know how I got here, but somehow I'm in this wilderness and I need Jesus to lead me. He is there for you to explain these crazy times, whatever it is that you're going through. Jesus is the God that led them all the way through the wilderness, defeated Egypt, fed them in the wilderness, and prepared a place for them, the promised land. He's preparing a place for you. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he's demonstrating in this feeding of the 5,000. But there's one more thing. You may be asking, well, Steve, what about the rest? What about this whole rest thing? Because they're still not resting. There's no barca lounger. There's no, there's no beach chairs. There's no, honestly, there's no grouper sandwich. So what, what's happening here? What are we doing? Where is the rest happening? We need to understand what biblical rest is. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. If you know the story of Ruth, there was a woman named Ruth and she was a Moabitess, and she married an Israelite, and her mother Naomi, her, her, her mother-in-law Naomi became her mentor after her husband died. And Naomi is constantly trying to help Ruth get a place of rest. In Ruth chapter three, verse one, it says this: it says, "Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you?" Now you say, why would Naomi want Ruth to be able to sleep? But see, biblical rest, and this word in Hebrew, here's what it means. It means to find a place that's good for you. And literally what, the, what Naomi is talking about, I want to find you a marriage. I want to find you a husband. So that you can thrive and you can be exactly what you were meant to be. You can bear children. You can help build a household. You can serve God and glorify him by, through this marriage. That's what she's saying. I want to find rest for you. That should be in all our marital ceremonies, don't you think? And may this be restful for you. Man, that would be a great vow. I think I'm going to put that in the next wedding I do. And I want you to be a rest for him and I want you to be a rest for her. I think that sounds really good. But understand what she's talking about. She's not saying, listen, I want you to find a good bed for you. I want, you to find, I want to find a place where you can thrive. You can fit in to be exactly what you were made to be. Jesus picks up this theme in Matthew chapter 11, and you may know where I'm going with this. It's really important to understand biblical rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But then he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Wait a minute, I wanted you to say my bed is comfortable, my lounger is good. That's what I want. That's not what he says, is it? Why does he say my yoke is easy, my burden is light? Here's what he means. When you follow me, you're going to fit perfectly into the role you were made to have. Think about that. Jesus is not saying, come unto me and take a nap. He's saying, come unto me, and I got the ideal place for you. 
I got the place you're going to enjoy, you're going to thrive. Maybe painful, maybe difficult, but I'm telling you, it's going to be so invigorating, so thrilling. You're going to say, I wouldn't do anything else. See, that's the place that Jesus wants to give. That's the rest he wants you to have. See, Jesus provides rest, a place for you to thrive. And there's really only one thing standing between us and that rest. You know what it is? It's a fish sandwich. It's something that we say to God, you cannot have. You see, until he owns it all, you're not going to experience his rest. Until you take up your cross and follow, which means I will literally die to follow you, Jesus. I I will literally do whatever I have to because I want to follow you because I want to know the place that you've already prepared for me. I want to thrive in your midst. Do you know what? In heaven, you're probably not going to be sleeping all the time. You're going to be doing important things. It's the ideal place for you to thrive. And that kingdom has already started right now. And God has a place for you to thrive. But know this. If you don't know that place right now, the reason is he doesn't own it all. And that fish sandwich is still in your hands. That little bit that you have that you won't let go. It could be your pride. Honestly, I, I don't want to do that. I'm too, I can't change. I can't give him everything. I can't do that. It could be your pride. It could be your expectation. It could be your lack of faith that Jesus really does have the best life for you. And you're sitting there going, I want my best life now, like a, a heretic preacher is saying these days. I want my best life now. I, I want to name it and claim. Listen, that is not spiritual. Name it and give it is a lot more spiritual than name it and claim it. That's what Jesus said. I ask for it all. If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And I will give you rest. How many of you need rest today? I wonder if any of you would say, you know, Steve, I, I've done this before, but I've kind of gotten to be a nervous wreck lately. Today, I, I want Jesus to have it all. Uh, maybe you're living that way right now. I want to ask you in just a minute, I want you to come down and just declare that. As a church, Jesus, I want you to have it all. Jesus, I want to know your rest. I want to be in a place where I can thrive. It's where you made me to fit. You made this yoke to fit perfectly for me, not to drive me down, but to use me in a powerful way. Now I get to be the one who uses what you've multiplied to bless others. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. Oh, just a moment as I pray, I want to invite you down. Let's just, as a church, say, Jesus, you, you can have it all. I'm not going to hold on to my little pathetic talent or my little pathetic money or my little pathetic whatever. I want to put my little bitty in your hands so you can do amazing things with it. On Friday, I had the privilege of praying with a man. Stan coming with his wife for a long time. Never accepted Jesus. He had a stroke last week. Got to be with him in the hospital on Friday. When I walked in, Judy grabbed me. 
You said, oh, we got good news. We got a little bit better medical report. But let me tell you, Stan wants to accept Jesus. And I thought, this is amazing. Well, let's do this. So I sat down next to Stan's bed, and Stan had a stroke, so he, his words were slow, but his voice was clear. Yes, I want to receive Jesus. And he prayed with me, repenting of his sins. And I told him, I said, Stan, you realize you're saying I trust Jesus, not my ethnicity. I trust Jesus, not my good deeds. I, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. He said, yes, absolutely. And he prayed a prayer of repentance, asking Jesus to save him. And I said, Stan, you know, as soon as you get well, we want to baptize you. He said, okay. And he went to sleep. Still pray for Stan. He has uh, pancreatic cancer, and he has some real serious, very serious issues. But he prayed to receive Christ. And I went away from that thinking this. I did so little, but God did so much. Imagine what he can do with all of us. We just do what he's called us to do. Place in his hands the little bit that you have and watch him do amazing things with it. And that in the process, you get to enjoy his rest. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If this message spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. Just tag us at First Baptist Del Rey. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to fbcdelray.com. Hope to see you again next time. God bless.